This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris, and my guests for today's episode are Emily Moran, VP of Vector Manufacturing and Avi Nandi, VP of Process Development at the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. Emily and Avi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. As we jump into our question set here, because typically on challenging the podcast, I interview executives from the innovator companies. And so just to our listeners, um, Emily and Avi will be, you know, providing the, all the good information that they're going to talk to you about to help innovator companies, biotechs work with a CDMO, kind of like a best practice type of thing and what you can expect. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there to our listeners too. Um, all right. So given each of your roles at Center for Breakthrough Medicines, how do you and your teams work with biotechs? And so I guess, Avi, I'll start with you from a, from a process development standpoint, how do you and your team work with a biotech? What do you, what, what does that relationship look like? Sure. So, you know, kind of going along the idea of, you know, not all biotechs are one size fit all. Um, it's really important to understand what the goals of that biotech are. And they can be dramatically different um, based on the expertise they have, the size they have, and the maturity of their assets. Um, so to take, for example, kind of maybe if we take examples on, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we've worked with sort of virtual companies, very early startup companies that don't necessarily have um, obviously, they don't have the people to, 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 to do the, the massive amount of work, but they may have gaps in their expertise. And so really having those engaging discussions up front for what they're hoping to get out of their partnership um, with their CDMO, um, maybe it's you know, helping guide their process development and analytical development pathway. Maybe it's looking for, you know, maybe they have multiple assets in their pipeline and they really want to make some more key investments up front in a platform so they can facilitate uh, and expedite the development of, of their assets, you know, over the, the mid to longer term. Um, and then kind of looking at the other side, you know, we, we've also had engaging conversations with uh, big pharma companies that have assets at various stages. They have very formal processes and, uh, and capabilities. And so they may be looking for, you know, some diversity and flexibility in their partnership, you know, for example, to have characterization of certain processes, but have very focused on specific areas to complement their capabilities and, and, and maybe, you know, just kind of limit it to, to very, you know, specific areas so that, you know, uh, 
we're really adding to what they need for their product development and kind of limiting you know, certain scopes. And so I think having that upfront conversation for what the client really expects out of it and then being able to cater our services and products to their needs to then you know, really ultimately meet their goals and be able to hit their product development milestones. I think you know, that's ultimately what we're, what we're hoping, hoping to do uh, you know, with, with the different biotechs we work with. Good, good. Okay. Emily, I want to make sure we talk, especially from a manufacturing standpoint too, what are your thoughts on how you and your team work with biotechs from a manufacturing standpoint? Absolutely. So, you know, often early and transparently. So we try to create an environment that again, meets their goals, as Avi mentioned, but really meets what they're looking for in a manufacturing facility so we can truly be their arm of manufacturing. We don't want it to feel like it's behind a veil or this is our house and we'll let you know when we make it, but really welcoming them in and, and we've designed the suites and in, in the area in such a way that we can accommodate a variety of processes, um, very flexible, very agile. Um, it has maximum segregation and controls and, and is really built to be BLA ready. So when they, when they, you know, come to CBM, it's a place that they can come and they can grow in their process. We can accommodate it as it changes and optimizes. And we're there to support it from clinical right through commercial without having to do another tech transfer, any kind of comparability protocols for another area location, because we've built the suites to really um, accommodate anything. Um, so many of my team members have been in the industry for a while, specifically cell and gene therapy. And we have a lot of strong um, individuals, myself included, that have seen the commercial aspects of a program going from clinical to commercial. So we, we understand what's needed. Um, we have very strong commercial backgrounds. So we understand what the regulatory requirements are. And we've designed it in such a way that, that we never have to go back and, and make compromises that make the client or CBM, you know, uh, uncomfortable and are in a bad position. And from a transparency perspective, we really do invite our clients to be as involved as they want from the beginning. So uh, introducing them to the team, making sure that our training program is catered to their to their program and we've covered any bases. Um, our goal is always right first time execution, leading with quality and safety. Um, so we, we've built an area that, that meets that need. We wanna build a team that also meets that need. Um, highly trained individuals that, that, are, that understand what the client's goals are. They understand client confidentiality and the criticality of IP in our industry. So um, we, we want that to be something that we lead with. And then from a transparency perspective, we've selected systems including our quality system that allows them to be very early collaborators in their documentation and their bill of materials and, you know, how we're qualifying or sampling those materials and that product and, you know, uh, from establishing control limits from in-process controls to release testing. Um, and then, you know, we have uh, the ability to train uh, our clients to, to come into the floor safely um, while also protecting the IP of other, other programs that we might have. Um, and if that's not something they're comfortable with, our, our, our suites are, are fitted with um, cameras so they can mm -hmm. view critical parts of their process, you know, either from a window or, or from the comfort of their location. As Avi said, we do deal with a lot of companies that are virtual and they're small and um, we want to make their, their dollar stretch as far as it can. So if, you know, that includes we're going to, you know, cut some travel budgets. Well, hey, listen, we'll bring in the suite as we can. This is your home and this is your space and consider it your team as well. So um, that's something that's very, very important to us um, to really have that um, practical and transparent relationship from a manufacturing perspective. Good, good. Okay. And I want to um, 
talk a little bit more about you've both discussed so the the timing and you know the early use the word early to start you know working together and then the importance of transparency and transparent collaboration so when it comes to a partnership with a biotech define early when do you mean mm-hmm. like how early is early sure um I'll, I'll take that one so um when when we're starting to see proof of concept data that's coming out that indicates that the asset isn't viable or has a high probability of viability and it's something that the biotech wants to move forward with that's really early because that that point is where you start to define crucial raw materials for the process and crucial steps for the process. And it's important that we can make sure that at, from a CMC perspective, that it's, that it's viable, that it's something that we can in fact take through to the clinic. So leveraging our expertise from a CDMO perspective and that early step so that we don't get a process that is great, you know, initial data, but is not something that, that really would be fit for first in human or even, you know, more advanced toxicology studies is, is just going to cause rework in the end. So, uh, you know, very early is is really how we we kind of define it here at CBM because we want to make sure that it's successful, you know, all the way through. Okay. So, Navi, maybe I'll ask you about the collaboration aspect of this and the transparent collaboration because we often use these words, you know, pretty interchangeably, even on cell and gene, you know, collaboration and um, terms just like that, but they're really we, we need to really define them and actually break down what we mean. So when we're talking about transparent collaboration between the biotech and the CDMO, what do you expect from the biotech? How are they, what are the ways in which they're doing it really well? And what does collaboration really look like for the biotech? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, you know, we actually kind of label it here partnership, right? And, and, and we genuinely look to build the partnerships with our, um, you know, with, with our clients um, because we have a singular purpose, right? We want to make sure that their product um, is delivered to a patient. And we really try to leverage our, our previous experience for what that collaboration or partnership should look like. And, and so kind of starting out upfront, making sure we are extremely transparent with our clients. And that means understanding and being clear for what their expectations are and what we can reasonably deliver against. So we're not trying to overpromise and then try to, you know, achieve and, and fall short of some of these lofty goals. We want to be very honest up front and to be like, <clears throat> this is what we believe are reasonable timelines, reasonable expectations, so that you know, as we go through this process, there aren't any surprises and that we are clear for why we believe, you know, these are these are reasonable timelines to deliver. In addition to that, we want to be transparent upfront with, hey, these are the upcoming deliverables we have. For example, if we have a study coming up in process development, we want to make sure that we have study plans in front of them so they understand what work is specifically being done, what data we're going to be generating and what, at what date um, that's going to be delivered, and then how that impacts the overall timeline. And then through this process, at any point, the client wants to come on site, if they want to engage um, with us kind of on a, on a more uh, personal basis, if they want to, you know, enter our labs and be able to support or observe any, any processes, 
or if we want to be able to send personnel over to their site to get trained, um, we're really open and flexible with any means to really promote first-time right uh, development of, the, of their product. Um, <clears throat> kind of going along with that theme, you know, product development does not is not a simple task. It's very complex. It, it touches many different departments. And so, you know, as we scale up their process, as we tech transfer their process, we want them to feel comfortable. And, and so, you know, access is one of those very important things. So we have, for example, PIP spaces, partner in plant spaces, if, if, if they want to, you know, stay here for an extended period of time, for an extended period of time um, and have access to scientists. Um, and also, we don't believe in having kind of singular paths for communication, you know, for example, through project management. We want to make sure we build those SME to SME connections because we believe it helps facilitate the exchange of information and really promote um, the, you know, <clears throat> the efficient and effective development of that program. So, you know, if they have their upstream lead, we want to connect them to our upstream lead. We want them to have conversations for the benefit of their program. So all of that kind of ties into what we're calling partnership and kind of the, you know, what, what, what you're calling as collaboration here. And, and we believe if we really set up those core teams in, in a transparent and integrated manner, that that's really going to build a collaboration that we're hoping for. Good. Okay. I want to switch the conversation a little bit to uh, the topic of de-risking the overall process, which is a, a big concern for in innovator companies. And so talking about partnership, in, in what ways does the partnership between the innovator company and the CDMO, how is how are you able to de-risk the overall process? Yeah, so what we do is we, we first start with a knowledge transfer process, right? We want to be able to um, have the client tell us, hey, this is the products we're developing. This is you know, the, the, the patient population that we're treating. And this is the information that we have you know, to date to both start on the right foot to, to ensure that we have the right engagement on our side, that the, 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 the scientists who are touching their product and their process understand the importance um, of the work they're doing. And really believe that that, that sets a sound um, foundation for the work. And then it's going through that process, understanding the overall product development milestones. So what, what is necessary um, to make sure that, you know, from wherever they're starting, so if it's a, a great idea or if, if they have an initial process to ultimate GMP runs, that everyone's kind of on the same page. Now we're engaging the right stakeholders. So what does that mean? So upfront, it's understanding what is their process, what are the opportunities to develop it, and what are the critical materials required so we can get ahead of any supply chain challenges that we've faced over the last couple of years um, and, and really starting to build those relationships with vendors. But also understanding that you know, the process isn't created in isolation, that you have to engage your analytical development colleagues to make sure that you have the right tests in place to then be able to you know, have inf make informed decisions on process development. So it's engaging those you know, analytical development scientists, engaging your supply chain. And then as you develop and scale your process, so we also have an integrated pilot operations team that operates at like scale to GMP operations. And that was purpose built to allow for, you know, sort of 
efficient and cost conscious scale up and then ultimate tech or training documentation and tech transfer over to our GMP space. And so we believe that we can help de-risk product development by having scale up and at scale manufacturing or development runs performed in the PD space, but with the flexibility offered outside of a GMP environment. So if you need to troubleshoot, if you have any engineering challenges, if you want to engage your GMP staff to help train them, if you want to start creating draft uh, documents um, and start onboarding some of those GMP materials, we have that model and can engage with the client um, you know, very actively through that process to help de-risk. And we believe that, that that's um, one of our differentiators to help first-time right manufacturing for our clients. Good. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about cost because that's what we're all concerned about. So I'd love for, and maybe Emily, we could start with you. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just for you guys to describe a situation uh, in which collaboration between both process development and manufacturing has lowered costs. First of all, what are those costs specifically? And then how did this partnership, uh, this transparent partnership, uh, aid that effort? Sure, absolutely. So um, there's you know multiple different situations and some of what Avi touched on on how we de-risk the process also leads to a lot of different ways that you can be much more cost conscious. So um, one example that immediately pops to mind is we executed a 200 liter pilot scale run, as Avi mentioned, in our in our beautiful pilot lab, um, which is a great place to de-risk and save costs because one of the biggest reasons that we increase costs is that we lose a batch, right? Instantly, like having to reproduce anything because of an error, especially human error or a process error that you didn't vet is a number one way to save some costs. So being able to have that safe space to really exercise the documentation, the process, establish control limits, and, you know, other kinds of uh, key parameters to improve productivity in the pilot space is, is a really great way. But during this particular run, we, we used a different technology than we had initially expected to tech transfer. Um, that was just because of the availability of the particular bioreactor. Um, but that really led us to collaborate between our departments at CBM and with the client to say, hey, what does our profile look like um, when we use this particular unit? You know, the bags might cost a little bit less or they're available earlier or we can get a bulk discount because we already have purchased them um, through a strategic supply agreement. So being able to kind of accept that risk on behalf of the client, run that study, um, really have a rock solid process that we vetted and feeling an incredible level of confidence in the documents. Um, And then on top of it, kind of, having that profile um, for how the product would react there and and establishing those controls was very advantageous. Um, We're also kind of working on executing runs between our departments where we can employ upstream pooling strategies. So pooling larger upstream and having a single downstream train is a very easy way that you can, you know, reduce costs, the overall cost of goods of a batch, but, you know, you really want to make sure that you understand what are the parameters, what are the recipes, what what are the different methods that we're going to use to make sure that we're capturing the product um, and the product that we want uh, efficiently. So being able to collaborate on our shared experiences and use our safe space together has been been a wonderful way to do that. 
Um, I think to identifying different raw materials or different vendors. Um, COVID was a great time to find those smaller startup, you know, filter manufacturers, bag manufacturers, media manufacturers that that didn't have those challenging lead times, but also didn't have kind of the street cred that we're used to from some of the bigger the bigger companies. But having um, you know, being able to work with them, being able to vet studies or screening studies to say, listen, we're going to get the same, if not better results, but we need to make sure that, you know, how are you building up your supply chain? And and that that's that's a lot of phone calls. That's a lot of footwork. That's just a lot of research and, and things that we do between our teams to make sure that we're able to identify lower cost of good materials, sometimes even better, you know, uh, raw materials, but, but it takes a lot of research and, and accepting that risk you know, here at CBM on behalf of our client uh, to, to just put our best foot forward from a cost perspective has really been helpful. Um, and, and again, when you're starting to mix and match different technologies that don't always speak to one another, right? Um, whether that be just how the PLCs interact or, or just how the sterile connectors exchange and, and how we follow that product pathway, that's something that we have to start in process development and in many ways can't be replicated on a piece of paper. So being able to do that together, you know, this is a problem or we can do this better, or, you know, let's automate this particular high risk step and being able to do that together and then getting that information from our process development team as they develop it so that we can employ that scaled up model from a right first time perspective in manufacturing is invaluable. So I just, you know, I, I, you know, I'm grateful every day for the partnership that we have. I'm grateful that we really put an effort on building our systems and our departments together to work in this way. Um, but seeing the results firsthand um, and then seeing our clients' reaction to having been able to achieve them has, has been really a wonderful experience. Good, good. Thank you. Um, okay, so obviously process development, manufacturing are very complex we could dedicate probably an entire podcast just to those two topics. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so I'm probably gonna ask you a very hard question to try to surmise, to sum up in just a couple minutes. Uh, but Avi, I'll start with you. Um, when it comes to process development, you know, what are the top takeaways you would advise, you know, or what you think every biotech, every innovator company should know coming into a partnership with someone like CBM? Yeah, so I would start with, um, there are, well, as, as Emily loves to say, it takes a village. There are multiple stakeholders involved um, in, in developing a process uh, for any given process um, and not underestimating the relationships, the, the complexity and the, and the deliverables all of those different stakeholders have um, to the overall program that we're trying to develop. So, you know, when we talk about making sure our supply chains engage up front and understanding, you know, the materials that are required, um, whether it's our analytical development team engaged so we understand what, so, and that's a, two, a very much a two-way street of understanding at what points are we planning to test, at what methods do we, do we need to test with and making sure that material is available so that they can develop their methods and that they're developed in a fit for purpose manner uh, to, to support us. 
making sure that our manufacturing team is engaged um, early so that they understand what equipment are we using, what does the process flow look like, and then are there any you know, very specific considerations um, that are unique to any given process. Um, and having you know, them engaged uh, to, to be able to train um, you know, on that process early and often. Um, and the other thing, you know, this is maybe a, 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 a fraction of, of, of that population, but you know, when we start talking about platforms for certain, actually for many of the, the clients that we work with, there's often some oftentimes assumptions made that, hey, you can use this one platform and you can kind of just plug and chug with different assets. Um, but interestingly enough, you know, oftentimes they behave a little bit differently and, and that can really create different risks as you, you know, want to really expedite and get to GMP manufacturing. And so really just understanding the, what those risks are, see if, you know, an output development up front can then really mitigate some of those um, potential hurdles down the line. So I guess maybe that's what I would say. Okay, so we've reached the formal end of our podcast, and my listeners know that at the end of every podcast, I like to talk to my guests about who they are when they're not in the office of the lab. And so um, the three of us here are in the greater Philadelphia area. And so my question to both of you, given our geographic location, what are your favorite things to do uh, in the, the greater Philly area during the summer? Emily, let's start with you. Easy, easy, Aaron. So it's to go down the shore. Sure. So I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, local girl. Spent a lot of time from the area originally. Spent a lot of time in northeastern Pennsylvania, but obviously returned back. Um, sea Isle City is my my home shore destination. So lived there throughout college, and just going there and spending time there is my favorite summer activity with my family. I have uh, my husband of uh, 13 years, and I have we have twin girls, so we're all beach people definitely our favorite thing to do. I love it. I love it. Same. We go to Avalon. So I get it. Oh, <laughs> Avi, how about you? Yeah. So I have not gone to the shore yet um, over here, but I, I'm, so I moved here about a year ago um, and I, 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 I come from New York and then Boston. Um, and so I'm actually tired of the city uh, or I, I like to avoid all the hustle and bustle. So, you know, we, we, have a house here kind of, you know, a little bit, a little bit into the woods and, um, you know, near a couple of farms. And what I really just enjoy is going out having peace and quiet, being able to take a nice little walk or run, um, kind of going to some of the local farms and just kind of, uh, you know, trying out, you know, whatever it is they're, they're, they're making. And then there are a few little pop-up, uh, uh, beer gardens that, that come around every now and then. So I kind of like that aspect very much in the summer and just kind of being able to enjoy. Actually, so I was in North Carolina before here where in the summer, you know, we can get extremely hot. And so, yeah. um, you know, just enjoying a little bit cooler weather, although still a little bit hot, but that's what I enjoy. Well, they're both excellent things to do in the summer. I enjoy both and I, uh, I, you can't go wrong either way. But Avi, if you get to go down the shore, as we say, uh, you should definitely give it. You should definitely give it a shot when you're not in a beer garden and out, you know, in the, the sort of the sort of the more rural points of the greater Philadelphia area. But that's fantastic. I can't. You can't go wrong. Yeah, will do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take him down, Aaron, and we can have a follow up to see if Avalon or Sea Isle, you know, you, exactly. Avi preferred each one. You know? <laughs> 
Right, right. Well, yeah, keep me posted. I think, uh, again, you kind of can't go wrong. And I, I love Sea Isle. And but I've been going to Avalon all my life. And it's sort of all I know, but right over the bridge, you're, you're, you could, you could walk there, actually. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you can't, you can't beat it. Oh, all right, listeners, that wraps up this episode featuring Emily Moran and Avi Nandi from the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. Avi and Emily, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Be sure to visit selengine.com for more editorial and content and to sign up for our newsletter. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.